Hello again, and welcome back to Character Concerns, the podcast I started. The sports went away for a while, and I was the only person left in America without his own podcast. We are here once again to discuss a classic TV character. This time around, we're picking up a shift in the Albuquerque Courthouse parking lot to talk about everyone's favorite security consultant, Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Here to do that with me is a man who chose a half measure when he should have went the whole way and will never make that mistake again. Matt Moore, everybody. Matt, how's it going? Good, man. That's my favorite speech from him. That's I, I don't, There's not a better one from him. Although I will say, um, we'll get into it, but I think we'll talk a lot about, about Erwin Trout's character. I feel like his monologues are among the best in the entire Breaking Bad universe. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's him or it's Walt, I think, in just in terms of monologuing. Like, they don't give Jesse a lot of monologues. They have the one really good one where he talks about, like, the problem dog when he's at his, uh, was, he's at, like, the 12-step thing. But other than that, like, his best moments are when he's just, like, playing sort of dead in the eyes. The guys that are, like, the big talkers are Walt, Mike, kind of Saul slash Jimmy. Yeah, I think... Um... I think actually that Walt, his best moments are more in the context of a dialogue because he's always manipulating everyone, right? So like the the memorable lines from him, from from Walt, like I'm the one who knocks and I won and those like, and you should, and you should tread lightly. Those are all in, in discussions in the middle of a dialogue sequence rather than an extended monologue versus uh, Mike and Gus in kind of, a symbol of how those two are, are similar in some ways. I think throughout the course of, of this, both series, you know, um, Gus, my favorite Gus monologue is the one where he talks about the coyote that he caught um, stealing from the tree. And then um, with Mike, he has these extended sequences where he's trying to explain, like he's mostly quiet, right? Like he's a, he's not a guy that talks unnecessarily. And so when he does like go on these things, it's always like, let me tell you something. And then he like relates a story or he expresses something. And so like he's, he, I think has the best pieces of extended monologue of anybody in the series. Right. I said earlier, Mike's like a, a big talker. That's not really true. Like he's, he's very economical with his words, but when he does get into, you know, yarn spinning mode, it's always riveting. You know, it's, it's like that kind of a thing where when he, when he decides he's going to talk, it's, it's that much more weighty because he doesn't talk all that often and is, you know, very, you know, yes, no, very straightforward and direct. Um, so when he does get into like a big, long, drawn, drawn out thing, he's, you know, telling a story or trying to impart some lesson, whether it's on Walt, Jesse, somebody else. Um, it's always really, really not just interesting. Like it's, it's riveting, like I said. Yeah. And, and I think that the way that he performed, that Banks performs it, I think is a lot of it is that like his ability to navigate the waters where Mike maintains this kind of like steely position whenever he's delivering these. And yet there's like these little edges of emotion. Um, and, and there are some exceptions. Like I think my favorite extended monologue sequence from him is when uh, he's talking to Kaylee in um, not Kaylee. He's talking to, to the, the wife. I believe it's season one. Yeah. Stacy. Yeah. And he's, he finally like relates what happened and he says, I broke my boy like that. That is some of the finest acting I think in the entire series. And I think Banks does an, an amazing job of having this character, um, which is, it's one of the fascinating things I think about urban Trout is that because better call Saul is a prequel 
we have this entire sequence where like we're learning more about him as time goes on but in reality we're learning about him before everything that happens in breaking bad when i think he's a lot more compartmentalized and the character wasn't as fleshed out because they just didn't right i mean it's the same thing realistically with both saul and gus where we're learning you know not quite as much for Gus because he was sort of like fully formed as, you know, the, the chicken man slash master of his empire kind of thing. But we're still, you know, learning little details about the way he got to where he was. And then obviously with Saul, we're learning about essentially how he became the person that he was on Breaking Bad. And, you know, with Mike, he was a sort of not necessarily a stock character because he brings something different to that kind of, you know, enforcer role than a lot of other people do. But he was like you said he was not nearly as fleshed out in breaking bad as he has been uh in better call Saul. um i want to start here why did you choose mike as who you wanted to talk about on this podcast i don't because i don't think he's the most captivating character in breaking bad in that entire universe i think the the two candidates for that are walt obviously uh and gus fring like they're the ones that you're most like you're hanging on every scene because of the performances of Esposito and, and Cranston and just like the intensity of both of those characters throughout the series. But with Mike, um, he's one of the, the few guys throughout that series. And there's like heavyweight acting performances throughout both series from all parties involved. Like Odenkirk's incredible and better call Saul. Um, all of these characters, but every single time that I see Mike on scene, like I'm riveted. I mean, I just feel like he steals almost every scene. And he was brought in, I think initially to kind of do that because he's the fixer. He's the one that comes in to help Jesse um, when the girl ODs. And so when he's the one that Saul calls to come in and clean it up, but as better call Saul has gone on, like you see more of his ingenuity, you see more of his like tactical skill and you see more of what drives him and you come to understand him. I also think that Mike's the most admirable character in the breaking bad universe, which like not a long list there. Like there's a lot of characters. There's not a lot of characters that are admirable in breaking bad and better call Saul. Um, but I think that Mike is the closest that you kind of come to that in terms of, of being worthy of admiration from the viewer. You can respect and admire Gustavo for any number of things for how cool he is. And you can admire Walt for his cunning but you're still always kind of like, oh, God, you're worse by the end of it. Um, but with Mike, you still have like this respect for him, even when he does things that are infuriating. And you're like, no, Mike, come on. You still have a deep level of, I think, respect and admiration for him. And and for him to stand out in a series like this and for him to be as powerful as he is really draws me to him every single time that I, I watch or rewatch. Any- yeah, I mean, in terms of the admiration part i think the only one that even sort of comes close is like you'd have to extend to the wider breaking bad universe to include better call saul and then like it's probably kim who you know despite the fact that she's sort of like breaking bad in these last few episodes of better call saul like she's the person that is most often trying to actually help the most people and like quits her big law practice job because she's not doing enough to actually help people. She's just helping, you know, soul psyching corporations make a ton of money. She's like, I don't want to do that. I want to actually help people who need it. You know, so on that front, she does like actual admirable things. Whereas Mike, I think is more admirable for just like, he has a personal code. And though he is, you know, obviously throughout both shows working for some pretty terrible people and obviously doing some really terrible things throughout both shows as well. He is 
you know, it's it's similar in a little bit to Omar from The Wire, where like he's a bad dude doing bad things, but he he upholds that code in a line of business where a lot of other people don't care about codes or upholding their word or anything like that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there are some other characters that I think are worthy of a little bit of it's, it's interesting because there's this line between admiration and likability. Like you like Nacho, even though I think as the series goes on, like you have to kind of step back and be like, this guy is like, he is a cartel member, drug runner. Like this is what he does. Uh, And he, you know, he caches in violence. Like that's his currency. And he does go out and, and beat up crazy eight early on. Uh, at Hector's request and all these things. And there's Howard who, you know, is, is very much the Skylar white. I think of better call Saul in that. <laughs> it's like the character that like genuinely just wants to have like a normal life and just like wants to go through things. And yet keeps winding up ensnared in these really dramatic situations that reveal his shortcomings, but his shortcomings are pretty normal and standard and understandable. Um, And so like he winds up catching grief and abuse from Jimmy in particular, despite the fact that like, you know, he's definitely had his petty moments and he's had his moments of obnoxiousness. But I think Howard in general is like a good person um, or, or clears that bar. And Mike is interesting because it always feels like Mike is, a good person that is simply choosing not to fight the world, having him do bad things. And like that's that, really, I was going to say just, that's a really interesting way to look at it instead of just like, he's a bad person. It's like, he's a good person who has the capability to do bad things. And instead of, you know, choosing to do things the hard way and try to maintain, you know, being a, you know, a lawful upstanding citizen, he has made the decision that he's just not going to try to do that and embrace the part of him that is actually willing to do those bad things for a lot of bad people. And then also just, I found it really um, good that you compared Howard to Skyler because Howard is on the receiving end of what is essentially Jimmy's, I am the one who knocks speech, which obviously Skyler is on the receiving end of from Walt. Yeah. Um, with Mike, the next question that you kind of, you, you have on, had me fill out for the list of, for the show is, was about traits, uh, the defining traits of the character. And the first word that always comes to, to mind with Mike Ehrmantraut for me is resignation, which is funny because... I have basically the same thing. <laughs> like, it's funny because he's also the guy that in Breaking Bad goes to um, the facility where they've captured um, the workers and, you know, with a silencer and Mike peels through them like mm-hmm. a hot knife through butter, Right. And he's also the guy that in Better Call Saul walks through the desert in what's probably the the best. It's up there for the for the best episodes of the entire series. I'm not sure it's the best, but it's up there. Um, so like he has the, this discipline to him. He's resigned, but he's got this intense discipline. Like, OK, I guess we're doing this. But once he engages, it's like this is how it's going to be done. And it has to be done these ways. And there is no other way to do them because you're going to risk, you know, failure. And this is how things should be done in this circumstance, whether it's, you know, using the electro, the, the, the magnet on the laptop or taking out, uh, cartels or using the shoelaces to get the driver busted on Hector's truck or whatever. Um, you know, he has this intense discipline 
to how he approaches his work with everything extracurricular. And even we saw it in the freaking lot in as a parking attendant where he won't give Jimmy like the basic like help out, even though he's there every day. He's, he's always like, nope, that's not what we do. Like, that's not how this works. So he has this intense discipline, but he's always very like even from the very start of the series, he's very resigned to like how things and it's there are very few things that he genuinely fights for. And really, if you look at it, like the only things that he absolutely fights for are Stacy and Kaylee and trying to be in their lives, trying to protect them um, and trying to protect not fring, but like the business to make sure that things don't blow up. Like by the point where things get nuts in season four of Breaking Bad, I don't necessarily feel like Gus feels the same way, especially after Box Cutter uh, about Gustavo that he does like in the the yard uh, in the, at the fountain in, in Better Call Saul. Um, and so like there's an evolution there, but still Mike's trying to hold on to everything, which is why he flips out at him Walt later when he's like, we had a good thing. We had Fring like, we had this whole thing set up and this is the like how things should have been and your recklessness. Cause that's what really bothers him the entire time about Walter is how reckless. Yeah. I mean, I went with something similar, just like, I guess I sort of framed it differently, like exasperation. Like he just can't believe that he's not necessarily that he's in a certain situation, but that people don't view things the same way that he does and recognize that you need to approach the current situation in the same way that he would. And that he has to explain himself in that way like you know you, you said before like okay i guess we're doing this like in the exact cadence it's like okay i guess we're doing this like yeah. you can hear mike in your head saying that and then like when he mows down those guys in the warehouse that are you know uh with um chow his uh the guy who gets them the chemicals for the meth business like after he kills all the guys he's just like he's angry that he even has to ask chow what he has to tell him and why he wasn't alerted to this problem in the first place it's yep. just like everything is just about like i can't believe this is happening because it's so obvious that it shouldn't be happening and i can't believe i have to deal with this yeah the uh, a great example of that too is set early on in better call saul where he takes the first job as the bodyguard for the mm -hmm. loser drug dealer dude uh the guy's uh embezzling pharmaceuticals um and there's that question of like why didn't you bring a gun and Mike says, didn't think I was going to need one. Like, why am I being asked this question? Like, this entire thing is stupid and you're all amateurs. Like, he's constantly surrounded by amateurs, which I think also, like, drives in large part um, why he's drawn to Gus Fring. Is Gus is the only person who is as careful and precise as Mike is in his approach to solving these problems. Um, like, the defining thing about it, with the resignation, though, you think about it... Um, crazy again because of where it, it happens in the timeline not early on in better call Saul at the very start of the relationship not at the end bad uh or his his extent with, with breaking bad um you know the defining moment for me actually came in the episode the season where they were walking across the desert and he's trying um and, and they're dealing with all that stuff um and he says i've got people he says to he says this all, I have people. Like, that really resonates with him. He cares about people a lot, given that he's, like, he's a criminal. He's a professional criminal. <laughs> uh, and he really, like, he cares about Jesse, and he cares about his guys. He tries to protect them from Lydia. 
he cares about he cares about Saul. My my favorite interaction, I think, of the of the entire series, my favorite interaction between Mike and another character is when Mike tells Saul no on stealing the Hummel. And he says, it's not for me. And I don't think it should be for you either. And there's a pause as as uh, Jimmy's just like exasperated and like, what do you mean? Like, why won't you do this? And just and Mike very quietly says, I was sorry to hear about your brother. Like kills me every time. Like it's such like a it's the only and like that that's the also the last moment where Mike treats Jimmy um with regard because I think it's that moment where he realizes like Jimmy's off like Jimmy's off the reservation and he's like he's turned a corner. Um but we talked about like the resignation thing. One more thing I wanted to mention there was like a defining thing about him in terms of the resignation is when he tells Stacy I'm better and he says I decided to play the cards I was like, that's it. Like that is the entire, like that one line after the, what he goes through in this last season of, of better call Saul explains all of his actions through the entirety of breaking bad. Like, mm-hmm. why would you do this? Why would you continue to do this? Why would you work with Walt? Why would you, you know, why would you do X, Y, and Z? And it all comes back to I decided to play the cards I was dealt. Yeah. That basically explains his, like you said, his entire, character i think another thing on the resignation too is like he was resigned to being like a bad slash crooked cop in philly and so he told his son to do the same thing and that obviously led to his son's death because of the hesitation and that like mike's resignation to being a bad guy you know at times it comes back to bite him but then he still goes back to it because it is like that sort of you know defining trait for him you know on the on the best traits that he has i mean you mentioned it a little bit like i think he has kind of parental instincts toward jesse and then to nacho too like we saw toward the end of this past season of better call saul like he has a similarly protective streak for nacho that he did with jesse where like he's trying to get gus to let nacho out and you know let him let his father off the hook and you could see that it's like it means something to him that nacho gets out of this safe or alive in the same way that it did jesse toward the end of mike's time on breaking bad yeah and i wonder how that's going to play in in the final season of a better call saul of tying in like whether there's a connection there or not because um, one of the, the twists in Breaking Bad that have, I've always really struggled with was that turn um, where Mike goes to pick up Jesse and is like, let's go. And Jesse thinks he's going to shoot him. And instead, they're just doing jobs. They're, they're doing pickups and doing random work for Fring. And it gets into like, he sees something in you. If I had to guess, I'd call it loyalty. That whole sequence is always kind of whenever I go back and watch it, I'm always like, this turn was really abrupt. Like, it really felt like they were just like, we have a really good thing going with Jonathan Banks and Esposito and and Aaron, and we should have them interact more since like they're going to be around for a while longer. We should have them interact and it'll cause tension between the two loyalties. Like they like that idea, but the transition was like really fast because Mike has like a real distaste for junkies throughout the course of the show. Like anyone that's on drugs, he has an extremely low tolerance and opinion of. Which makes sense because as a beat cop in Philly, he just like was to deal and dealing with them and how they acted throughout the entirety of, of his experience with them. Like he like he was a cop. He always experienced people that were having problems whenever like whenever he would encounter them. It was because there was a problem with their behavior, whether they were, you know, as a domestic violence call or, you know, D, whatever it was like 
Mike's got almost no positive experience with anyone that uses drugs. Um, and so that's, that's clearly like influenced how he feels about things. And yet he warms up to Jesse like pretty rapidly. And especially it's weird given that they manipulated him into the position where he like, you know, chased the guy off, like led him away and then came back later. And that was a setup you find out later. Like all that's very confusing for me too. So that's always been one thing that's, that's, that's kind of um, been a twist on things is trying to understand. I, I understand Mike and Jesse's relationship by the end. And it's one of the things that I like best about that season is when Mike's desperately trying to get Jesse to see like, you've got to cut ties with him. Like you've got to get away. Like he's going to get us both killed. Like this is so bad for you. Um, he's always trying to save Jesse. I understand the relationship, but how they got there continues to be a little bit of a mystery. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the way to explain it basically is just that it's Gus's plan, obviously to drive a wedge between Walt and Jesse. And it's also sort of like the start of Gus's downfall because it's so obviously a setup to drive a wedge between them, at least to Walt, who thinks, you know, in an insane way, like Gus does, not necessarily to Jesse, who sort of takes things more on the surface level, that because it's such an obvious plan, Walt is eventually able to convince Jesse that it was an obvious plan, and that helps turn Jesse back to his side to get him, you know, to, to help kill Gus. It's like, you know, you mentioned that, that obviously Gus is super uh, efficient and, like, well organized in terms of his dealings and that's a reason that mike is attracted to him i think the one exception to that is he can get sort of an emotional you know taste for revenge like he has with uh with hector salamanca and like he has with walt and both times that causes him to make a bad decision and i think the bad decision with walt was you know immediately hatching a in retrospect, pretty obvious plan to drive a wedge between him and Jesse that Walt would be able to, you know, turn back on him at a later date. And then obviously with Salamanca, it's all of the things he does in the lead up to then, and then he has to be the one to go confront him in the nursing home, which obviously is the end of Walt's plan to get back at him, you know? So it's like Gus does have that one weakness where he can get emotional about the people he wants to get back at. And that storyline is basically the start of you know gus made an impulsive decision because walt outmaneuvered him with gail and gus said we're going to start on this plan to get back at walt right away and he left an opening for walt to turn it back on him it's also interesting to compare and contrast gus and mike in the respect of um gus is is pretty sociopathic and uses people and is nefarious and has a real vengeance and ruthlessness to him like in this last season when mike goes over and is like he's done what we've asked like, he's paid his due we need to get him out and instead gus is like no he stays in like we need a man on the inside like he always finds a reason but it's just pretty clear that he's just like he's so he's so bent on his plan of taking out the salamancas that he genuinely does not care who winds up getting hurt in that process like that's a that's a very clear difference between gustavo and Mike, because Mike is very much in the idea of like, you're in the game or you're not. And you're either like, if I have a problem with you, then it's between you and me, but it, he will only accept collateral damage if it was unavoidable. And we see this like throughout the series where one of the key moments that drives, that winds up driving all of it uh, forward and winds up being the reason that Mike is introduced to Fring, um, which I think is great how they, how Gilligan and the writing crew have always built everything like connects and you can, you can follow the the chain of events 
so clearly going and they've written it backwards all the way through through better call Saul where when Mike hijacks the truck and leaves the guy in the desert and the good Samaritan comes along and Nacho tells him they shot him and buried him in the desert that only like reaffirms like that bothers Mike a lot like it hurts him and he channels that into like all right I'm going to get Salamanca. I'm going to finish this. And that's what lines up leading him to like, he's going to shoot him, which is when Gustavo puts the, the horn on to get him to, to not shoot him. And then similarly, you've got, um, uh, Oh, I'm blanking the, the German associate. Werner. Engineer. Werner. It, you know, he goes off the rails because Werner was, a, was not in the game. He was just an engineer and he winds up getting killed because Mike couldn't keep him in line. And so like, he has this genuine, care and concern for these things which um is one of the things that i'm when you look back at the entire series of breaking bad too like there's some things that aren't going to match up just because you're like breaking bad was one series and it was driven like mike was a side character and better call saul he's a main character and as an example like the boy that gets murdered in better call saul or in breaking bad mike's upset and he like he's mad and he wants to like he wants to to, to kill the dipshit but he also like he's not nearly as upset about that as he is about Werner. So like your personal connection to him does matter. I think in part because his time as, as a Philly beat cop has kind of inured him a little bit to uh to violence and to the fact that like people get hurt. Like that's just a thing that happens. Yeah. Also with the the kid Drew Sharp that gets killed, Drew, Mike that at that point has just been in the game for much longer and probably, you know, has killed a whole lot more people for Gus right. and for other reasons right. and has obviously seen a lot more people. And like at that point, they've engineered like an execution of the entire cartel in Mexico. And he's, you know, killed all those guys in the warehouse and, you know, arranged the deaths of so many people. And at, at this point, it's like, again, he sort of resigned to the violence. So that that's another reason he would be, you know, sort of let even with a kid have less of an extreme reaction to it than he would with somebody like Werner. And again, like Werner, I think shows again, he does care about people. Like he cares about obviously Stacey and Kaylee. He cares about Jesse and Nacho, at least in terms of what happens to them and Werner, he develops sort of a friendship with too. Um, And I think, you know, that sort of plays in also to some of his other good traits. Like, I think he seems like an actually pretty decent grandpa most of the time. Like whenever he's actually with Kaylee, except for the one time that he yells at her in this most recent season, the better call Saul, he seems like, you know, he takes her to the park, he babysits for her, things like that. Like he obviously helps provide for her in terms of the money that he gives to Stacy. And he doesn't come, come by that money in the most admirable ways in the world. But you know, he, he helps provide for someone who is not, you know, strictly speaking his dependent. And he does obviously care for her a lot and he's, everything he does is to get money to leave for the two of them and then just um I, I think he has um very straightforward nature like again no nonsense like we'll tell you exactly what he's thinking and why tell you exactly how he wants things done and why and obviously he's very resourceful too like he in a different way than walt who is obviously just a you know a science genius kind of person but like i think you see mike even in this most recent season of better call saul like if there's ever anything in a room near him that's broken mike is going to fix it like he fixes that window in when he's uh recuperating at that doctor's place in mexico like that's just very mike urban yeah like he he is the very definition of fixer right like yeah like he, he literally fixes everything um mm-hmm. and i think that's like a cool thing of, about it and his resourcefulness i think is just incredible i, I love the scene where 
he's got Kaylee and they're putting together the hose. Like that's such an insane thing, especially when Stacy walks in and is like, what you doing? And he's like, you know, those rhododendron. <laughs> it's it killed. I always crack up when I rewatch that scene about him having his daughter help him with um, the, the spike tire, the tire spike that he puts together to, for the ambush. I think that's Hilarious. a great thing. And, you know, he uses, he uses, uh, I think he uses, he uses Jordans, right? To, um, or are they, no, they're Converse. They're Converse all-star um, to put the drugs on top of the truck. But anyway, right, he's, right, a, right. he's extremely resourceful. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is, is really impressive. But yeah, like you mentioned, you mentioned how he is with Kaylee and he's really dedicated uh, mm-hmm. to the people that he's with and they're on his side. Like he is, he has a certain measure of loyalty, I think in that he never plots against Gus, no matter what happens. Like he's, he's with Gus until Gus is dead. And then he deals with the, with the outcome of that. And he's loyal to his guys and not wanting them to get killed in prison. The only people that he's really not loyal to are, are those that he identifies as people that will definitely like that aren't worthy of it. Like he has, he's, I think he's actually a really good judge of character. Like he knows he shouldn't be involved with Walter. He knows it the whole time. And he's just basically roped into it because of his own, because of some of his failings. Um, he knows he can't trust Lydia. He knows he can't trust Todd. He knows he can't trust, you know, various people. I think like they're very, I don't think there's a situation in which he misjudges the character of anybody throughout the course of the series. Yeah. I think that's probably true. Like, I, I think also just a, uh quickly to go on a couple more of these like i think he has a strong affection for animals like both of the times that he's recuperating at the uh the the doctor's place in mexico he's like feeding the chickens and he names them and is like you know don't take the the feed from wendell and it's like you can see he's just like very quickly grows attached to them which i think anytime someone um is affectionate to animals that's always a sign of like a good person in tv or movies and when they're not affectionate obviously it's a sign of a bad person because what kind of a person is you know mean to animals um on the other side of the coin um obviously prolific killer works for a psychopathic drug kingpin uh took bribes in the philly pd and then i think that resignation too to being a bad guy is sort of like you know the the start of the downward spiral you know that's the resignation to being a bad guy is what gets his son killed the resignation of being a bad guy is what gets him back in league with gus it's what gets him you know back in league with walt at the end of breaking bad and it's ultimately what gets him killed yeah i put it a little bit differently which is that i identified as his self-loathing is what leads to acceptance of his circumstances mm-hmm. and his inability to commit to the posits that he says he um constantly winds up putting him in positions where he's compromised and that happens a lot more in breaking bad but you know a lot of what happens in this latest season season five of a better call Saul is basically he's just like it's this it if you want to find a common thread with him and jesse it's when jesse says i know who i am i'm the bad guy like that's exactly what happens to mike erman trout in season five of better call Saul. is he is he he has that sequence after Werner's death of just realizing like, okay, like this is who I am. Like I am the person that gets these people killed. I made these choices. This is who I am, which is, it's a bummer in a, in some ways because he's capable, I think of being good. Like he does a lot of things in pursuit of good throughout his time in both universes or in, in the universe and in both shows. Um, the scene where he's, Basically, he's putting the new sidewalk in for the church, for the support group. Um, the way that he tends to be kind, like he's kind of the waitress, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
he's friendly. Like he's friendly with bartenders. There's not a, like there's not a lot of people that he's mean. He will be cruel or indifferent. And if he's trying to like send a message, then certainly he'll do that. But in day to day life, like he has a very clear differential between people that are not in the game and people that are in the game, and that's a very clear line to him as of how he. Um, but at the same time, like this is the this is a guy that preaches discipline, and he has all these plans, and he thinks things through. Like he thinks to himself, if I don't ever show up at a magical facility, then my paperwork getting a check from them is gonna look suspicious to anybody that goes asking. So he goes through the entire process of stealing the guy's badge and going to the, to the facility and doing all the checks and convinces Lydia to let him do it. Does all of this, and yet when Walter blows the face off of Gustavo. And does all of these things. Has um, Jesse killed the assistant? Uh, Gail. Gail. When all of these things happen, he still somehow winds up talking himself into like, well, okay, because he winds up in the in a pinch for money. And it's just like, I know how much he wanted to set up Kaylee. And then he. this is like the only way that he and Walter have any sort of thread. The only thread between Mike and Walter is that they can't feel like everything they did was for nothing, right? Like, Mike can't deal with when Skylar takes the money, he can't walk away. He can't do all this and feel. And, and when it's like the, when they're trying to launder the money and they're talking about the, um, the, like basically the GoFundMe that gets set up, he doesn't want that because it's a charity case. All of his work has to be rewarded and appreciated, but it also can't be for nothing. And that's how Mike is with Kaylee and Stacy. It's like, I can't have done all this, made all these decisions, killed Werner, done all these things. And then they walk away with nothing. So he goes back into business with Walter, despite knowing on some level, this is a bad idea. And that to me is like, it's such a clear, it's understandable given the character. It's not inexplicable. It's not a plot hole, but it's just so disappointing. Cause you're like, you are the smartest guy in the show. Why would you do this? Yeah, it's, I think it's exemplified in that scene where he tells Jesse that Walt is a ticking time bomb and he doesn't want to be around for the boom. And Jesse should get away from him too. And it's like, Mike, Take your own advice, my dude. Like, just get away from this guy. Don't worry about Stacy and Kaylee's money. Like, they survived before. They didn't have, you know, that whatever it was, like two million or whatever that you were, were going to give them. They literally didn't have it. Didn't even know it existed, probably. And they're not going to have it now. Like, they will get by. You know, just save yourself from getting in league with this guy who you know is bad news and is going to get you killed. And that's obviously what does end up getting him killed in the end. You know, like it's that, that resignation, like you said, and that self-loathing, I think that sort of combination does lead to, to his demise eventually. Um, in terms of his place in the show, like I think very much in better call Saul, it's a little bit different than in breaking bad. Whereas in better call Saul, he's like the connection between the real world and the underworld. Obviously he starts off working in that toll booth and he slowly, but surely works his way, you know, into the game, so to say uh, over the course of these last several seasons. And then obviously by the time breaking bad rolls around, he's just like the, it's, it's not like godlike, but he's essentially like a superhero type enforcer where, you know, he can just do anything at any time. And he's like the best there is and everything that he does works right up until the end where he decides he's going to leave. And for some reason he trusts Walt one more time and that, you know, that kills him. Yeah. Um, one thing I think that he acts throughout the course of the series actually is he's a guidepost. So he's introduced as the guy that comes in to fix the setup after the OD. 
And then after that's and like on the way out, he says like he's trying to get Jesse to recognize. It. He's like, you're almost through it. Like it's it's like it, that's honestly like a moment of even though it seems really insensitive, it's a moment of like your life's gonna go on. Like Jesse's gonna have to keep living after this. Like he has he has to go on. And he has to stay out. Of, stay, and he wants to stay out of jail. So like here's what you got to do. Like you have to keep on going. But she's dead. Uh, and then he's a guidepost for Walter accidentally because of the half measure speech. Um, in that he you know, he, he fundamentally accelerates everything at that point um, because Walter's decision to run over the two with the Aztec is what causes Fring to accelerate the plan to replace him with Bedeker. And that leads to the decision to kill Bedeker, which is what causes box cutter, which is what causes uh walter to be afraid of gus and know that he has to kill him which sets off their tension and eventually leads to face off which leads into gus taking over the meth or walter taking over the the meth empire um which leads to mike getting killed so like there's there's lines of all this but he was the guidepost in guiding walter that moment he's a guidepost for saul at several moments Mm -hmm. and most notably in that desert scene where he you know he says i've got people and that like resonates with Saul to where he, you know, he, he helps kill the guy. He helps get Mike the shot. And then he drinks the pee and to get out of the, to get out of the desert. Like that's a fundamentally reshaping episode. Uh, there's been a lot of, of critical analysis that talks about how in that episode uh, that Jimmy entered the desert and Saul walked out of it. And I think it's, there's shades of that being true, even though it, it, the process had started earlier, but with Nacho, same kind of deal. Like Mike's a guidepost for him in terms of guiding him away from things that would have probably gotten him killed when he tries to get Tuco out. Um, Mike helps him do it in such a way that it winds up going better. Uh, when he wants to get, when he wants to kill Hector with the pills, Mike helps facilitate that and gives him advice there. Like Mike's a guidepost for the, all these characters. Like he is, a, he's always providing like a way that you should be, which would help them from being so reckless as to spiral off and eventually meet their, their end sooner than they wind up happening. And like, you really come to the realization by the end of it, if everyone listened to Mike, everything works out better. That's definitely true. I think also just with Saul, he, in the episode after they're in the desert, he sort of, I think sets in motion the way Saul will approach his attitude toward the game for the rest of Better Call Saul, presumably, and then obviously throughout all of Breaking Bad, where he's like, you know, one day you're just going to wake up and realize that you haven't thought about it, and then, you know, it just becomes okay, and obviously Saul eventually gets to that point, and at a certain point, all of the things that he's doing and all of the things that he sees don't really bother him anymore, and that's just sort of, you know, Mike imparting that, not necessarily wisdom, but that attitude toward the world to allow you to survive in the game like he has for so long. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you, you, one of the questions you asked about was like, how's the character change mm-hmm. throughout the, the course of the season? Um, it's funny. I think he actually kind of goes full circle. I think he goes 360. I, I think when he gets, when he arrives in Albuquerque, he's broken and uh, haunted by decisions that he's made and on the outs with the police and by the end of the show of Breaking Bad, he's kind of haunted by his decisions and he's a little bit broken and he's lost everything and the money's going to be gone. And <laughs> and and he's kind of like back to, and he's a little bit 
colder too. I think he warms up a little bit throughout the car- the period of. I don't know. Uh, I think he probably gets pretty cold. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. He is. He is a little cold there by the water. Um. Well, I guess not anymore since he's been disapparated. Uh. But yeah, like he. Uh. I think he goes through kind of a of a complete turn. I think he kind of lightens a little bit and warms a little bit throughout the course of Better Call Saul. And then Werner happens, and that mm-hmm. I think once he starts working with Frank, as it is with with better call with with Breaking Bad, there is definitely a theme of everything gets darker when you start working with Gustavo Frank, which is crazy because Breaking Bad started with a series of episodes where they first liquefy the dude in the bathtub. So like okay. it started off pretty dark, and yet somehow everything gets darker whenever Gustavo Frank shows up. I think also it's just extremely difficult to be like any kind of light kind of person when you're in that line of work like it's basically the only person that's able to do it is lalo and that's just like or i guess don Eladio too is sort of like a but that's because he's at the top of the food chain and basically all he has to worry about is how much money all of his underlings give him um lalo is really the only one that's able to keep sort of like a sunny disposition about him in terms of being you know within that kind of a world i guess like badger and skinny pete too but that's because they're such clowns that they don't even realize what they're doing at that point. Like I would say Jimmy, uh, Jimmy too, but I think it's, it's kind of a put on for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you probably see that a little bit at the end of, of this last season too. Like he's, he's pretty shook when he first gets involved with the cartel. Um, which is why season six is going to be so, will be so interesting to watch Mm -hmm. to see whether or not how much, because there's been a lot of debate about this in, in various online communities about how much of Saul's performance is a put on is a show. Like one of my like real disappointments when I look at Better Call Saul or when I look at Breaking Bad after Better Call Saul is like the last time that Jimmy and Mike spoke that we saw was Jimmy was afraid of Mike because he busted him up. And like there was that like they their their connection was completely over and done. And that's kind of a bummer to me because for a while, I, I think that those two are actually kind of connected in some ways of being people that are capable of not living in the game and choose to for various reasons that feel compelled to operate within the game and like that to me is it's it's kind of it's relatively tragic on multiple levels of seeing both characters so like i'm excited i i do want to see some resolution of exactly how much of the character that we saw as saul goodman in better in breaking bad was um, manufactured. I think one thing that's really interesting about the way Better Call Saul has developed is that it makes it entirely possible that his entire relationship with Walt and Jesse is a put on because he obviously has a pretty deep relationship with Mike and knows that Mike doesn't work for him. He works for, he doesn't know who Gus is, but he knows he works really for someone else. Um, and obviously when he you know first introduces Walt and Jesse to Gus, he's like, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy and he sort of pretends that he doesn't really know Mike all that well. So unless there's some sort of fracture in their relationship coming in season six, that leads them to legitimately like not having contact for a while. And the only reason he finally gets back in touch with him is to put Walt and Jesse in touch with Gus. You know, that's that's all sort of a front to make him seem like he's, you know, just the happy go lucky lawyer. That's a little bit farther removed from that kind of life and is, you know, on the outside of the game and just sort of helping them, uh, you know, sort of nibble around the edges. Whereas really he's, 
actually in it. You know, yeah. so unless something in season in six, I think, or whatever it is, happens to to fracture that relationship, it's entirely possible that we're going to learn that a lot of what we thought we knew about Breaking Bad wasn't actually true. Um, yeah. let, let's move on to best and worst moments. Um, one of them, I think, you know, we've talked about it a bunch already, though. They broke my boy speech. Like, that's obviously a bad moment for him in terms of, like, his life. But it's just such an unbelievable moment for the character and for Jonathan Banks in particular that I think you have to put it like number one best moment, like that speech and the no half measure speech. Like, I don't know how you top either of those. So I think like they broke my boy is only powerful because of the journey we went on with Mike throughout breaking. We'd never seen him in that context. We'd never seen him emotionally distraught. We'd never like he's been exasperated. He's been panicked. He's been, uh, angry, but we've never seen him devastated. And so that moment for Banks's performance was incredible for giving this character a believable mechanism to really break down because you know, he helped, he was complicit in uh, the murder of his son. But I think like, if we're talking like defining, if we're talking like the moment, it's gotta be half measure. Mm-hmm. Just be- the entire performance from like, like everything to like the line where he says in the middle of it, when the guy's in the backseat humming Danny boy, and Mike says, and it just rubbed me like the way he says it. Um, so instead he's like of, biting um, the words almost yeah. like it's yeah, like yeah. he's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I so think anytime he's on uh, some sort of mission too, I think is great. Yeah. Like you mentioned it earlier, like the warehouse thing when he first starts working for Gus, like he he steals the badge and he goes and drives around and he sees that guys aren't using the lift belts and he you know sees all sorts of other problems. He's like, you're not shredding these papers and everybody's using manual receipts instead of computerized receipts and it leaves you vulnerable to fraud and like everything he does there and you know everything he does when he is taking out the guys in the warehouse, everything he does when he's uh, going to intimidate Lydia and going to. Um, when he thinks he's going to go kill Lydia and when they're in the, uh, the warehouse again, and when they're trying to check on the methylamine and Lydia says there's a tracker on it. Um, and the way they arrange to figure out if Hank was actually doing it, like every, every time he's on some sort of mission, I think is a, is just a great moment for Mike. Yeah. Um, and like I mentioned it earlier, but the scene where he, where he says, I was sorry to hear about your brother. Like, again, I just think that that scene is, uh, is really great for, for both characters perspective. I think, um, there's a few others that I think you can go back to and see. I actually, <laughs> one of my favorite performances by him is actually in Box Cutter. It's the shock on on Mike's face when uh, Gus slits his throat. Like that's nuts. Like his absolute just shock at that sequence and the outright brutality of it was really well portrayed. And like he holds up the gun to Gu- to Gus because he's so freaked out, which that's shocking to go back and see. Like, he pulled a gun on Gustavo and <laughs> lived to tell the tale. Um, but like, uh, there's just like, a, there's, there are so many moments, the, the conversation with, um, the cop that followed him out to investigate him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really great in the hallway. That was really, uh, and yeah. that's like in one of his first appearances, better call Saul. That one's a, yeah, I think also the, uh, the speech he gives to the Vominos pest guys when him, Walt and Jesse are starting their operation. And he's yeah. like, you only refer to these two guys as yes, sir. And no, sir. That's you don't talk to them unless they talk to you. Um, like anytime he's like putting on his serious face, I think is great. Um, the sandwiches episode where you mess where that you mentioned earlier, where instead of bringing, you know, guns to help that guy who's doing the deal with Nacho, he brings like a pimento sandwich 
and um, he obviously shows that he doesn't need a gun for the job, sort of disarms the guy, takes his gun, and uh, then sort of like pistol whips him in the throat. Like, that's just classic Mike. Like, he, you know, he hides in that chicken truck and stops the hijackers when the guys are trying to, you know, hijack Gus's meth. And then possibly my favorite line, even though it's not his best, just because you shot Jesse James, don't make you Jesse James. Yes. Just like classic Mike. It's such a good line. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, by the way, there's a 45 second clip on, on YouTube, which is just how to make a pimento cheese sandwich, which is a, it's a, it's a trailer for one of the seasons, And it's just Mike talking about how to, how to do it. It's great. Um, it's such a, it's just so awesome. That, like That's that, hilarious. Whole, that whole sequence. Um, but yeah, I think like all these moments are are really great. Um, oh, another good, great line for him is Walter. You're never gonna see like the way that he's just like you idiot. Like his his ability to talk to to Walt like he's a complete moron because like he's one of the few characters that makes Walt look dumb. Like Walt is ridiculous at points, but he's always kind of in control. But he always looks like a moron next to Mike. It's also just like that's the exasperation coming in too, where he's like, "Come on, you really think you're gonna see this guy again? Right. Like, what's wrong with you? You're so right. dumb." And I think similarly in his last line to Walt, where Walt is like trying to explain everything, and obviously, like, it's a bad moment for Mike because he's about to die, but he's like, "Shut up, just let me die. Like, nothing you're saying matters. I'm literally about to die here. Like, stop doing this. It, do- it doesn't matter." And he yeah. again, he's just like exasperated that he even has to say this kind of thing to watch. It's crazy too, because uh, better call Saul has done so much with him and better call Saul is such a amazing show to the point where I now like feel like is better uh, than breaking bad, even though breaking bad had much wider cultural impact. Uh, it's one of the disappointments is like, there's not an alternative here. Like I know how this ends and it ends shitty for Mike. Like it just ends shitty. Like, because he was a side character to the main story and he had to be tied up. And so the end was tied up. And like, I don't know, there's been stuff that said like, well, yeah, but like he went out, you know, sitting on a bench, watching the water, um, like a little bit on his own terms, like telling Walt to shut up. But like the only person that was with him when he died was Walter White, which ugh, <laughs> like what, what a low way for, for it to go for Mike. And then second, there's no body, right? Like he takes it, like Walt takes the body back to Todd and they, right. and, and they put it in the, <laughs> they, they put it in a tub um, in a plastic container and so it's like there's no closure that he's just gone he just vanishes and uh in general like that's one of the things is we're gonna we're gonna see one way or another i think a little bit more of a cathartic ending like we got a cathartic ending for walt and we got a cathartic ending for jesse in el camino and we got a cathartic ending and we're gonna get i think a cathartic ending for saul in maybe (laughs) who knows like in the future part of better call saul at least yeah if he doesn't screw it up Mm -hmm. um but Mike j- just gets the tub. Like that's all he gets. Yeah. So I hope like the end of better call Saul at least gives him a scene. He's had some, so many great scenes in better call Saul, but I am hopeful that he gets like a way for us to almost say goodbye to the character that isn't like, Oh yeah, you get shot by Walter and, and dumped in a tub and evaporated. And he gets shot in such a, you know, harried and stupid way and for such a dumb reason too like as walt says right after that he could have just asked lydia for the names could (laughs) have just let him leave and he also like he runs back to the car and then sprints over and shoots mike and is like kind of messes it up and doesn't shoot him so he dies instantly like 
it's it's a beautiful shot that ends with you know Mike looking out over that water, and it's a, it's a, an, an incredible scene. But it's just like it's so wasteful and so pointless. And again, it's just it's like it's a bad moment and a bad end for him. Like I think that again, like obviously, like dude dies. It's one of his worst moments. But just like getting outmaneuvered by Walt in that moment, that's like essentially the third time that he gets outmaneuvered by Walt. You know, like the first time with Gale where Mike is supposed to kill Walt, but Walt had given Mike the wrong address to look for Jesse and they secretly met and decided that Jesse was going to have to go, you know, kill Gale. And uh, obviously at that point, Mike has been outmaneuvered and that leads to everything with Boxcutter. And it's a great acting moment in Boxcutter when Mike is all kind of shocked, but that's like, it's not a great character moment for him. Like he's supposed to be the unflappable enforcer guy. And obviously this is something that truly shocks him and then obviously later he gets sort of outmaneuvered by walt again when him and jesse are trying to sell the methylamine and he handcuffs walt to the radiator and walt gets himself out and arranges to do his own thing with the methylamine so it's three different times that he gets outmaneuvered by walt um one of them he's supposed to kill walt but instead gets somebody else killed another one he's supposed to get money but doesn't really get it in the way that he wants and then another one he dies like to get outmaneuvered again by a person who he is smarter than but he just manages to you know macgyver his way through those things and all three of them you know that tells the story of mike's downfall right there yeah and i think it's i mean it's not surprising i guess that he got outmaneuvered uh in the sense that walt is really good at manipulating people and walt's really good at doing things that you wouldn't think he would just in terms of most often just like he wouldn't do that what oh he did do that yeah he did um but yeah, I think it is one of those things where Mike's routinely smarter than him, and yet he does, you're right, that he gets outmaneuvered. He also just like, um, he routinely, I think, in, in Breaking Bad, winds up, well, I mean, he had to, right? Like, the the correct reaction, knowing the complete character, is like, Mike's putting a bullet in his head. Like, that's what would have happened if we were to play this out, but can't have the series end like that, so that's not what, what happened, but... Like the character that we've seen throughout the the, the course of both ep- of both series, I think very clearly is going to go to, but maybe not, but just because Gustavo was so confident in his ability to control the situation that he probably like, there's probably going to have been conversations where Mike's like, just let me take care of this. Like I, I, it will take two seconds. Like, let me take care of this. And Gustavo was like, no, like I need the formula. I need the, the meth in order to keep the lab up and running. That's one of the coolest things about Better Call Saul is it shows you like how, harrowing uh, a condition the super lab put Gustavo in financially, which I think. I also think just like Mike got outmaneuvered by Walt because Walt was the main character and Mike wasn't, you know, like there's, there's no reason that Mike would have ever trusted Walt to bring him his, his go bag of money. You know, like if it wasn't Jesse, then he would have been like, you know, get Saul to do it or get literally anybody else to do it. Or he would have just left it and figured out another way to get it at another time. He never would have trusted Walt in that situation right. but the the situation in terms of the overarching story called for walt to kill mike and they had to figure out a way to do that so that's the way that it happened you know yeah um obviously another bad moment for him like we talked about it a bunch um when he has to kill Werner, who he'd obviously developed an affection for and a friendship with um but you know Werner told people that weren't in the game about the super lab work that they were doing. And so Gus said he had to go and Mike was like, you know what, if he has to go, it has to be me. And obviously it really breaks him up, you know, at the start of this most recent season of better call Saul that he had to do that. Yeah. I think um, the, the Werner 
arc is really fascinating for how close they got and how much he liked them. And then like the work they did with him this season was really good too. In the aftermath of having to kill him. But yeah, that final scene where they're outside the airport, he explains to them what's going to happen. Uh, and the fact that Mike wanted to do it himself, like that's, that's like a defining moment for the character, right? <laughs> is, is this guy's going to die either way. So let me be the one to do it. That's wild. Like it's, it's crazy in that, for Mike, it was a point of compassion and pride to be the one to put a bullet in his friend's head. But that's definitely who Mike Ehrmantraut was. Yeah, I mean, you know if Mike's doing it, it's going to be quick, easy, painless. Like, he's not going to get tortured. Nobody's going to mess up the killing like Walt did with him and, you know, leave him in pain, bleeding to death for hours. Like, Mike is efficient. He knows exactly. He's like he's like the Kevin Durant of killing people. Very efficient, very effective. And it... uh you know, he snipes him down very easily. <laughs> when uh, when did he become a real character for you? I mean, for me, it's very quickly. Like that first scene where he comes and cleans up after Jane's death, like walks up, tells Jesse, Saul Goodman sent me in, out, cleans everything up. Things are going to be OK, kid. And he's out of there. You know exactly everything you need to know about what kind of an operator this guy is just from that like two minute sequence. I think that explained him. I think when he becomes real is probably the half measure speech because it, uh, it, it explains that he used to be a cop. It explains that he doesn't like it when innocent people are victimized. It explains a lot. And then the other one is actually when he punches Walt because it's such a measure of his loyalty and just like mm-hmm. the one, the violence that he can inflict physically because uh, he'd done it with weaponry before, but to be able to do that and then uh, to explain, like to basically just like make it clear to Walter where his loyalties lie and that he's loyal to to Gustavo. I thought that was that's a real that that to me was a real moment. But I will say, like he was always uh, an archetype and kind of he was the fixer. Like he wasn't Mike Ehrmantraut. He was the fixer until Better Call Saul, and then really that first season is when it explained who Mike was and gave him such a depth, uh, genuine character. Like there were, he, he was, he became a lot more likable too in that series. Um, so I like that first season, I think, and even leading up to like the, the pimento sandwich scene, which is just hilarious. Um, I didn't want, I forgot to note this earlier, by the way, in that scene, my favorite part is where he takes the guns, he puts them in the trash can then wipe and then claps <laughs> his hands together. That's my favorite. He dumps them in the trash can and goes and like, okay, let's go. Yeah, season one of Better Call Saul definitely humanizes him in a way that he never was throughout all of Breaking Bad. Um, you know, specifically in the you know the "I broke my boy" speech again. That that tells you everything about Mike's motivations that lead to him becoming the person that he does throughout both series. And like that for me is why I chose that episode. Is you know like if you had to pick one episode to explain him, like it gives you all of the backstory that you need to know. It's an incredible like tour de force acting performance, both in the flashback scenes about his time as a cop. And then obviously in the scene where he's explaining to Stacy what happened and just like the break in his voice when he says, I broke my boy. Like again, that he's never been more human than he is in that moment. And it's just, again, it's, it's such an unbelievable moment for both the character and the actor. It's like, I can't think of any possible better episode to explain him than that. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. Um, he asked the question of who would you be their friend in real life and what would your friendship be like? I can't imagine us being friends. Like I, <laughs> um, I think now I can't be imagine being friends with them. Probably when I was in my younger 20s, I actually think we probably would have gotten along a little bit more just because um, when I was running poker games in Austin, I dealt with a lot of um, not 
I, well, I did. I dealt with a lot of shady characters, but I also just like, I dealt with, I knew cops and things like that. And so like, I had a better ability, I think, to like shoot the shit with folks like Mike, like I could probably talk sports with them. Um, but I think I would wind up dipping too far into both the political and existential discussion points. And Mike would just be like, I don't have time for this. Yeah, I don't know if Mike is like in on the analytics revolution. He's no, probably, probably not. About, Prob- probably, know, like- <laughs> probably, misses, probably misses Ewing quite a bit. Or I, you know what? I think he probably thought the process was stupid, but he probably thinks that Ben Simmons is really good. A hundred percent. And he, he thinks Joel Embiid's act is a little bit out of control. Yeah. Uh, so He's yeah, cool. I mean, for, for me too, like, I don't think I would be friends with him because I, don't think he has any friends like after Werner, I like, he doesn't have any friends during the run of breaking bad. He has his guys, but those guys are not his friends. And you can see that by the way that they interact when he goes to visit all of them in jail. Um, You know, these, these guys are not friends. They're guys who were together because of circumstance, not because necessarily uh, of choice or any sort of common characteristics you know it's a common goal of making money and that brings them together but it's not like he's got you know friends that he goes and hangs out with all the time it's like him his daughter-in-law and his granddaughter and he works for gus and works occasionally with victor or tyrus or whoever else in gus's organization but that's about it he's friends with the bartender he seems like he's uh, he's buds with the bartender They're like, like the waitress too at the yeah. cafe that he goes and eats at. Yeah, they're yeah. like friendly, I guess. So yeah, I mean, maybe if there was a time where I worked in the service industry at some point, I did do a guest bartending thing for charity once when I lived in my old apartment two apartments ago. So perhaps if he had been there that night, uh, then maybe we could have struck up a friendship. Um, where is he now? Dead. We don't Dead. need to talk about where Mike is Mace, now. I saw that question. And I was just like, oh, sad. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay. What's the actor's influence and could anyone else have played him? Jonathan Banks. So good. So good. He's incredible. Really incredible. Um, I racked my brain trying to come up with somebody else that could. And I, I could not find one. Like I could not. There's probably one throughout the entire history of film and screen that I could come up with and be like, yeah, he could probably do a pretty good job. Um, but the combination of how he looks, which is like not a super attractive dude, big ears, bald, old, grade, mm. um, the force that he manages to project on screen, the way that he controls his dialogue, the like his cadence is, is just remarkable in all of these scenes. Um, the little ticks that he throws into everything. I can't imagine any other actor playing this character. I just can't imagine like he is Mike Ehrmantraut. Like Bob, Bob Odenkirk, I think could be a lot of people. And I actually think that like, there's a lot of people that could have played Saul. It's a well-written character with a lot of room to maneuver. You have to hit a tight landing zone with Mike Ehrmantraut. Like Mike and uh, Gus are probably the two characters that you have to hit the tightest window with. And both both of those actors did them in legendary performance. Yeah, so like with the caveat that obviously Jonathan Banks is Mike Armandrow, you wouldn't necessarily even want to see anybody else play him. I do try to come up with lists for all of these guys, and I think I landed on a few that would actually work. But before I get to those guys, I do want to say that um, the combination that you talked about, like he, he's got like a combination of physicality, but also like he's like 
weathered and sort of like not necessarily run down, but like been beaten down by life and by circumstances. And you can see that in every scene that he's in, just like the physicality and exasperation that he brings to the role reminds me a lot of the way that James Gandolfini played Tony Soprano. Like there are times where both of them, they're like acting with their chest or their neck. It's like you can see just like the little twitches in their body that are not like obvious sort of moves you would make. And it's like barely perceptible, but you can see like that they're carrying such a heavy weight along with them because of the circumstances in their life. And I think that the only other person I've ever seen really convey that as well as Banks does is Gandolfini in The Soprano. So that was like, obviously at the time that Breaking Bad um, gave Jonathan Banks the role, James Gandolfini wouldn't really have been in a position where he was going to take that kind of role. But I think, you know, if we knew what Mike was going to become, um, I think that that Gandolfini would have been able to embody both the physicality and like the weatheredness that it would have taken. I think he would be really good. Um, another one that I came down on is Terry O'Quinn, who played John Locke in Lost. Nice. Um, I think that obviously a similar look, like with the bald head, like the funny shaped ears, like he could be intimidating at times. Like, I don't know if he necessarily carries off the the danger that Mike does. But there are times, I think, in Lost where he's able to convey that kind of thing, like especially in the, you know, that final season where he's playing the version of like the the man in black guy where he's like actually the um, Titus Welliver character, but in John Locke's body. And he plays him like such differently and with like a little hint of malevolence to him. So I think he could have pulled it off at some point, too. Um, Then I had uh, it would have been a very different character just because it would have had to be like a little bit louder, but just the way he plays the character on Fargo, I think Billy Bob Thornton could have done it. Interesting. Um, It's obviously a little bit of a different type of guy. Like it would have had to be a much more, I think um, loquacious type of character and like a little bit more colorful. Um, But I think just in terms of the actual role as like the weathered enforcer who can still like get things done very efficiently, I think he could have pulled it off. So those were the the three that I, I came up with. Like I think the only one that could have played the role maybe as is is probably Gandolfini. But if you tweak it a little bit to suit the actors, which you know every good writing staff does, I think there are other guys that could have potentially done it. You know, with the caveat that I don't really want to see anybody else play Mike. Like I don't I don't even know like if you were casting it now who you would go with there. I can't even really see anybody. Yeah, I just don't think I would be afraid of O'Quinn or Thornton. Like that's part of the thing is like Mike does have a menacing side where you're just mm-hmm. like, oh god, like he's able to exert real threat so quickly. Um, I think Gandalfini could do that even though it was bigger. Like I think that, that that's a good fit. Um, but that's about the only one I can think of. Um, yeah, that a I think couple really others I wrote down. Like I, I think that um, Edward James almost huh. has like an interesting look. Like I don't know if he could necessarily convey like the again like the weatheredness or the exasperation but i think he has that look where he could be an enforcer who is scary but also efficient if that makes sense a little bit yeah i can see that. i can see it a little bit yeah, yeah. Like, i don't like it as much as the other guys that's why i didn't mention him in the first time that i went through but that was sort of another one that was sort of you know floating on the periphery of my thinking um but again like 
just let Jonathan Banks play Mike always. Um, could the show exist without him? I think, you know, yes, sadly. And it was supposed to like, you know, there's the story that's been told many times, like the role of Mike was never supposed to exist. Um, Saul was going to be the one coming and helping Jesse clean up after Jane, but Bob Odenkirk had committed to do like four episodes of how I met your mother or something like that. So they needed somebody to come in who technically worked for Saul and that became Mike. (laughs) So like clearly the show, at least breaking bad, obviously could have existed without him. You know, better call Saul was designed essentially once they decided that they were going to do it and tell the story of how, Saul, uh, Jimmy became Saul. There needed to be like you know a through line of that underworld existing already. So they wrote in you know that Mike was going to exist too. It would be very difficult for Better Call Saul to exist without Mike. But Breaking Bad, obviously, I think could. Yeah, I think um, they could have got they could have gotten by, which is why like I think it's really amazing that he carved out this role as like this character that feels so important. Like he's not vital to what happens. He just feels like. He's such a big part of the universe and important because of how much the fans love him and how much of a joy it is to watch him. Yeah. Um, such a great character. Like I'm very excited to see what happens to him in, in season six of better call Saul. Like, obviously we know his ultimate end and we know, you know, how he gets introduced in breaking bad. But again, I think like there's a lot of stuff left up in the air in terms of his relationship with Saul. I think he's going to play a big part in whatever happens with Nacho. Like that's one of the big things hanging over the final season of Better Call Saul too. It's like, what happens with Nacho? What happens with Kim? What happens with Lalo? And what happens with uh, Mike and Saul's relationship are like the big questions left to be answered. And obviously Mike plays an enormous role in three of those four questions and potentially all four of them if he somehow his storyline overlaps with Kim's in some way. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see him and Kim. That would be great. Like that, 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 that would be, um, I would just love to see that interaction. I think it'd be really incredible, especially like we saw this season, like Wexler's the scene with her and Lalo is so good. Like both scenes so with her good. and Lalo are so good. Um, I think there's real upside to, to seeing her in that world a little bit more, even if it may mean bad things for Kim, which nobody wants. Right. And I mean, I think they sort of imply that that's coming between that scene with Lalo and then obviously the plan that she comes up with in the last episode. And, you know, like she does like the finger guns. It's like really strongly implied that like she's the one that's breaking bad right now. You know, not to overuse the phrase again, but like I think like I don't know if we'll necessarily see her with Mike, but I think it's pretty clear we're going to see her more involved in the cartel storyline in the final season like that is the whole storyline of the show now like her, her and lalo sharing a scene was like the end of there being two different shows within that show you know like that, those two people that you would never think would interact with each other in any real way and they have like this knockdown drag out unbelievable scene maybe the best scene in the history of the show and it's like all right that's it these two worlds have crashed together for good now and like it's entirely possible we do see kim with mike and yeah. Anything else you got on our man, Mike Ehrmantraut? Uh, he, he's so good that I actually kind of want to try a pimento cheese sandwich. But I haven't yet. Um, and I've never had a pimento cheese sandwich. Yeah, I kind of want one every time I, I think about it. I'm also really hungry right now. So that's part of the, the issue there. Um, 
I just think also, I think there's a lot of things that are sad about Breaking Bad. There's just so much sadness and tragedy that goes throughout the entire series as a result of human choices, which is to me has always been a lesson of that universe is there are consequences to your actions. Um, but like one of the things that, that I, I always will look, it's disappointing how I think how it's going to end, but I've just always really loved the relationship between Jimmy and Saul and the fact that they're, there is this connection to, and they're so different, but their moments of respect for each other, I think are really great. It's just awesome to see Bob Odenkirk um, and Bales play that way. Our banks play that way. They're just so good together uh, in the scenes that they're in. I'm, I'm going to rewatch those forever. Yeah, I mean, obviously the relationship between Mike and Gus too, like, or not even necessarily the relationship because it doesn't change that much. Like Mike is an employee. Gus is the boss. That's it. Mike does what Gus says for the most part, but just the, the interaction between those two, like they're, you know, two of the, I don't know, three or four best actors in both shows combined, like the two of them bouncing off each other just in, in any scene is endlessly entertaining and great. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens with them in the final season. Uh, Matt, Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Everybody can read you at theactionnetwork.com. Um, great stuff going, even though basketball is not being played right now, sadly. Um, I know you did, what was it, the gambling thing on Michael Jordan for the most recent uh, episode of The Last Dance. So everybody should check out your work. And um, Matt, we had a good thing going. We had Fring, and uh, you had to screw it up, and I'll never forgive you. <laughs> thanks, Jared. Yeah, it's no problem. And uh, thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it.